Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC Vegas 76. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Producer Megan is on the sticks. Loser of a shoey bet, Cody Saftik, is on the line. It feels good to roll in here. I've been just, just, just taking L's every single time against you. So, I mean, I kind of, I really greased you into that one last week, but it was on you. The fact that you didn't know who was the favorite in Ricci versus Robertson, uh-huh. I, I caught you. I caught you. I caught you in the, in the, in the hunt and uh, I, I had to get one. I had to get one uh, under my belt because I was, I was starting to question whether I was ever going to win another shoey bet. Yeah, it was like underdog plus 120, so whatever. I should have known better. But that was the stupidest shoey bet I could have ever taken, other than when I gave you back the Romanov over Volkov one, knowing full well he was going to lose. Little teaser in the biz. We'll talk about that guy uh, a little bit later on the show. But yeah, I got an inability to say no to challenges, <laughs> a competitive person, right? So like when you presented it there, especially because I've tanked you on the last four or five of them, did. I just decided to take it. So uh, I was actually going to do a shoey later in the show for Alexander Romanov. But you know what? You goaded me into right off the top. So this is a tall boy. And uh, I don't feel like I deserve to shoey a tall boy because it was a stupid you bet don't. anyway. So let me just get to know it. And then I'm gonna shoot you this thing. I I can appreciate that. That's fully acceptable to me. I mean, yeah, I'm usually so, doing a three like a 355 milliliter seltzer, so I'm not I'm not doing no 473s. Maybe we could work that into the rotation at some point. It would be different if it was like I beat you on it. Here's what we should do. You know how you offered me like a two to one shoey bet or a three to one shoey bet, but sometimes it's like a 275 or a 250 or something. Mm-hmm. Two tall boys is a plus 250 kind of thing. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, when I went to the store, I was like, man, there's just so much better savings on buying tall boys. But, <laughs> I mean, it's a punishment. So, it's not that. Oh, he's living the high life. Not that it is not brought to you by high life. It could be brought to you no. by high life. If they would pay us some money, it could if definitely it, be brought could, to you by high could life. It could 100%. Maybe they've got some seltzers. <laughs> Yeah, if this is the high life, then I don't want to know. What, all right, what all the right. low life is? Molson dry ice, Molson dry ice is the low life. We used to drink that stuff all the time. Remember, we used to eat those subs across the street from the old fight network. They were like two fifty, two fifty yeah. for a whole sub, and they made it right in front of you. It wasn't pre-made. That was living the low life. That's a nice shoe you're drinking out of there, bud. It looks a little dirty on the bottom. He's got some kilometers in on that. Yeah. There's some grass on there. All right, well, uh, let's get into it there, bud. All right, buddy. We got the main event. We got Sean Strickland taking on Abus Magomedov. Minus 145 for Sean Strickland, plus 125 for Magomedov. This was like minus 170 yesterday, uh, yesterday being Tuesday. Uh, we record this on a Wednesday. Kind of surprised, not going to lie. Um, I mean, Magomedov has had some decent fights in other promotions leading up. This is a massive step up in competition, you know, after a UFC debut. He's had some a tough string of luck in terms of 
injuries and pullouts and then other people pulling out on him. He looked absolutely brilliant, of course, knocking out uh, Stolfus in the first round in his UFC debut. I'm kind of surprised by the numbers shortening and getting you know closer to a pick here with Sean Strickland in a five-round fight. We know if this thing goes five rounds, Sean Strickland can put up like 155 significant strikes. There are big question marks. I was going through all of his records. It's like, I don't think Magomedov's ever fought five rounds. So um, I don't really quite understand the, the market move there. Um, yeah, it's like down. It's actually, yeah, it's, it keeps kind of moving in that direction. And I mean, if I was going to bet Magomedov, I'd probably take Magomedov by KO, which is like plus 235. Yeah, Strickland's going to be the pick for me. It's just, I've seen him go five rounds. I think, you know, he has been rocked. He has been knocked out a couple times in his career. One of them um, was when he was at 170, and I think he really, really killed himself getting down to 170. Spinning and then Alex, hook kick to the face. Yeah, by a spinning Al- hook kick. And the by, other guy's Alex Pereira. Come on. And then Alex Pereira, who's got hooks from hell. Like, one of the most dangerous dudes on the feed. So, it's like, I'm pretty surprised by the line movement. And I'm probably going to, maybe maybe I'm falling right into a trap. But I find it hard. This continues. It's like, I'm going to end up with a decent amount of money on Sean Strickland this week. Uh, what's your take here? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more, actually. I think uh, I was surprised by the line on minus 175. The fact that it moved down to minus 145, I'm not quite understanding it it's not even like sean strickland's coming off a bad performance or anything he's coming off a killer performance where he takes a fight on four days notice rolls off the couch weighs in at like 205 and then still proceeds to go five rounds still proceeds to land 182 significant strikes over the course of those five rounds he's one of these guys that's like i don't gotta train to get ready because i'm always ready the way that they spar over in las vegas the way that he's always active the way that he's always fighting all comers top challengers top guys from other organizations, and even fans off the street. Don't matter. Sean Strickland beats anybody up. But I think all of that sparring just kind of keeps him in tuning gear. So, yeah, in terms of fighting five rounds back at 185 pounds, I think he's a real deal. Now, rankings don't mean shit. And the topology rankings are awful on the regional scene. On the, like, worldwide scene, a lot better. Now, keep this in consideration. Best guy, Adesanya, of course. Um, Robert Whitaker, Jerry Cannonier, they're ranked a high, higher than Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland, ranked number four, Okay. He could have beaten Jared Cannonier in that last fight, 100%, you know, or two fights back. 100% he could have, right? Very close fight, very competitive fight. A lot of people, pundits online, kind of did score the fight for him. Ranked fourth in the world. Other guys, Abus Nurmagomedov, he's not in the top 10. He's not in, or, or, he's not in the top 10. He's not in the top 15. He's not in the 20, 30. He's ranked like 48th. There's so many other guys in the division, and good guys. Mara Vittori, Dreykus Duplacis, Roman Delites, Pereira's now in the division, or I guess he guess he's moved up. Paulo Costa, Nasruddin Imovov, Jack Hermanson, Brandon Allen, Kelvin Gastelum, Andre Muniz, Chris Curtis, Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, my boy Carol Bauhau. These guys are all good guys. A boost, not even on their level. He's come in here and he's knocked out one guy, Dustin Stolfus. For the record, not even close to being ranked. So... You've got one guy in Sean Strickland that's knocking on the door for a title shot, fights all the best guys, has fought five rounds, shows that he's got cardio, shows that he's got durability, shows that he's got volume, shows that he's got ability to beat elite-level competition, and the other guy's got one fight in the UFC, and it was over Dustin Stolfus. <clears throat> all right, well, then he must have had, like, an absolutely killer uh, run before that. No, not really. So, like, he's most notable to me. He came into that PFL season, the first season, for a million dollars, and is supposed to win. 
and beats soft competition, doesn't look that good doing it, and then ends up in the final against Lewis Taylor. Now, I bet him, of course, because he's going to beat a 42-year-old Lewis Taylor, and he's a minus 400 favorite, and he got knocked out in 33 seconds. Flatline. Lewis Taylor ended up failing to get medically cleared five months later and never fought again. Won a million dollars by knocking a boost out. That was like three or four years ago. I think it was four years ago. He's had mm-hmm. three fights in those four years. So yeah, he's beat a couple guys on the regional scene, makes a debut over Dustin Stolfus, and now he's fighting the number four guy in the world, a guy that could be a title challenger, fights the best guys in the division, is proven, and it's minus 145. I'm shocked, man. Shock, shock, shock. So yeah, I'm going to bet. And of course, it's the main event, so it gives me the hedge out option if I needed to play it. Not even that the plus money on the other side is all that good, but I'm not understanding it. So it's probably a trap line and we're about to get fooled. But yeah, to my eye, to your eye, not seeing it, brother. I got Sean Strickland. Yeah. And yeah, the the funny thing about Abus Magomedov, too, is that like, yeah, so he gets knocked out by Lewis Taylor. Um, and then over the course of two years, he fights something called a Slavisa Simonovic, who was Zero and zero coming into that fight <laughs> and gets him with a, you know, a Kimura in 47 seconds. And then he takes on another guy who's 12 and 0, which is like, okay, maybe that guy was a decent prospect. You look into it and it's just like he was 12 and 0. And then now he's 13 and 3. It's like once he actually took a step up from like really low level competition to, you know, good fighters, he lost to pa- uh, Pavel Pavlek, who's, uh, you know, former UFC fighter and a good European fighter. Um, once he took a step up to that level of competition, the guy just, you know, he went one and three in his next four fights. So, um, yeah, it's a big, big, it's very, very strange to me. I'm, if if I'm running into a trap, so be it. Um, you know, you're going to grind every single week in and out in this game. And, uh, yeah, I find it really, really hard to to believe. Uh, Prize Picks has Strickland at 80.5 significant strikes. I mean, what is the total in this fight? Total is lined to... It's right on my sheet in front of me. Over three and a half rounds is minus 150. It's just like, well, Sean Strickland put up like 150 last time out. If we get to the fourth round, if we get yeah into four rounds uh, of action between these guys, I, I think... You know, with the is amount of volume this guy throws, four, yeah. I think eighty over 80.5, unless he gets knocked out early and we're all just running into the trap right here. I think Strickland over 80.5 significant strikes is definitely uh, definitely play, playable over on prize picks. Promo code DOP. Uh, moving on <laughs> down, we've got Demir Ismagulov taking on Grant Dawson. I, depending on what book you go to right now, Cody, um, you could probably get one guy as the underdog slash favorite. It's I lined it as a straight pick em. Who you got here, bud? Honestly, it is a straight pick em, and I'm having a trouble getting like a strong lean. Ishma Gulov for the longest time has been my boy. You know, he's definitely a generalist, but he's generally good at everything. And his takedown defense was pretty solid, striking pretty solid, uh, makes very, very good, wise decisions, high ring IQ. But at the same time, it just seems like he fights to his opponent's level. He's going through the gears. He's outpointing them from range. But that's very, it's a subjective fight style. So his wins are over low-level guys, and he has no ability to knock anybody out in the UFC. In fact, it's not even like he's got a ton of power in the UFC. Wins over Alex Gorgies by decision. Joel Alvarez, Thiago Moises, Rafael Alves. And then the Guram Kudelitz fight. Super close, super competitive, back and forth. He outpoints him. Again, doesn't try to switch gears, doesn't try to really get anything going. 
And then his last fight against Taruki, and he gave up the seven takedowns. So that's another good fight. But here's my biggest problem is that he's floating around the 50, 60, 70 significant strikes range. He doesn't have a ton of power. So he's kind of moderately low. I'm not going to call him a low volume striker, but he's kind of in that moderate range. He fights to his opponent's level. His takedown defense, giving up seven to Taruki, and oh, it's Armin Taruki. I'll give you a pass. But still, seven takedowns in a fight getting out grappled, it shows that your generally good takedown defense isn't an elite level of, of takedown defense. Now, Grant Dawson, you know, he's a wrestler and he's a grinder and is he of the level of an Armin Saruki? No, no, probably not. But man, the guy is improving. He's getting better. He's always been getting better. He's still very young and making a lot of solid improvements. And in his last fight against Mark Madsen, Mark Madsen wrestled at the Olympics. Mark Madsen is an elite level wrestler. And Grant Dawson goes out there, two takedowns. Striking looked a lot better. His cardio is very sharp. If he comes in shape, he's got good cardio. He is, too, a low-volume striker. And if he chooses to strike with Ishmagulov or cannot take him down, going to be a problem. Going to be a serious, serious problem. But I almost get a feeling like you've got a Demir that loses to Armin and then retires, announces his retirement. Now I'm done with the sport of MMA. Then suddenly, he's back in the sport of MMA. And they give him right back another grindy type wrestler. So I don't think that's what he wants to fight. I don't think he's super motivated to fight that. He just proved his last fight, although against an elite level opponent, that that is a blueprint, maybe a potential game plan to exploit. And I think Dawson's smart enough to realize I got to take this guy down. So I'm leaning towards Dawson, but yeah, both guys could win the fight, right? It could be a close fight. It could be a split decision. I think it's going to decision, but the overs are probably chalked up. And uh, yeah, I think I'm going to lean wrestler, grappler over striker. And the market has been moving that in that direction quite a bit. I had kind of historically been not exactly a, a Grant Dawson believer, but I mean, taking down Mark Madsen two times in your last fight. See, the biggest problem that we had with him in a bunch of fights, if you go back to the... Uh, to the to the Ricky Glenn fight, it's just even like, Leo Santos fight. He looks terrible, and exactly. the Ricky Glenn fight, he gasses out. So and you're he, right, and Nad Naramani too is just like we we kind of the the thing that we would always say about this guy is that he's really good the first two rounds, but then you know the cardio kind of falls off a cliff. It seems like he's fixed that now. He's got now he's coming off of two straight third round finishes. He doesn't seem to go away like you were kind of expecting to in those spots. Um, he's getting better as his opponents get more tired, and he sets a pace that really tires other people out. Uh, I don't have any issue, like I don't have any, um, you know, qualms about Demir Ismagulov's cardio. The guy can definitely go a full, uh, a full fifteen minutes at against any opponent. Don't get me wrong there. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna you be want a greasy picky. theory. I'm gonna want a pick- greasy theory. Sure, what's the greasy theory? I'll give you a greasy theory right here. A little tinfoil hat greasy theory, right? So James Krause is this awesome coach, man. I mean, such a good coach. And then banned. And all these guys got to go to other camps. And David Onama goes to uh, Evolution or uh, Elevation Fight Team. Oh, my God. He looks so much better. Ices me last week. I got my top ticket through, but he dices that second ticket. And he just looked a lot better. If you look at the where these fighters have gone, they've gotten a lot better. Grant Dawson went to American Top Team, which is my favorite gym, right? We gave them fight of the uh, gym of the year last year. So subjective these days, but all the same. American Top Team is legit. This kid's looking really good. Coincidence? I don't know. Greasy theory is James Krause putting something in their water, holding them back, betting against them. And they're losing those fights. 
Now that there are other places, people want to see. Oh, yeah, so greasy. Uh, And if you're James Chrysler's legal team, just joking, man. Just joking. There's a disclaimer at the beginning of the show. There's not actually. Maybe there should be. Um, Yeah, all jokes aside, though, no offense to James Krause. His fighters have moved on and done excellent since him. So uh, I'm going to have to say Dawson's continued improvements get the job done. So what you're saying is that they were better off without him all along, which sounds like there should be offense taken. But I mean, we're not. I'm not. I don't care the about David a- Onama that fought last weekend. Smokes Nate Landwehr. <laughs> I love Nate Landwehr. The guy that sure. fought last weekend was awesome. Okay, his cardio was good. He was sharp. He was very very strong. In the Landwehr fight, he looked good for the first round, and they tired out. Now he's at elevation now he's in colorado right that helped his cardio you got to go get different looks get different stuff that worked for him grant dawson goes from being the big dog in the room that smashes everybody and he's like 24 years old when he debuts in the ufc now he's 29 in a room full of hungry big dogs good for him grant dawson round three i mean i know you're taking on demir that who has never been, oh, it's going to decision. It's never it's been, been finished. Yeah, but like Mark Madsen had never been finished. Grant Dawson gets him uh, out of there, he's right? Not like, elite. It's like he's 12, not elite. It's twelve years elite. It's twelve to one is the best price on market right now. Don't hate it. We'll see. We'll see when more places open up. Maybe able to get it better than a better than a twelve to one. Oh yeah, I'm just gonna Trevor Peak. By the way, uh, that should have to bring that up, <laughs> buddy. But no, I'm talking about my. I had a fourteen to one ticket. To win, I mean, it would have made my weekend. I ended up slightly profiting on the UFC, but it's like I would—it would have been a banger if that had won. And like, frankly, that was the fight of the night. It's not my fault. Dana was too busy making T-shirts no, for uh, for Musk versus Zuck that he didn't even <laughs> watch the prelims quite clearly because the main event was an absolute beatdown. Topuria should have got a performance bonus. Don't get me wrong, but that was not fight of the night. Josh Emmett deserves some money under the table for hanging in there and being so tough. Credit where credit's due. I'm not trying to take away from anybody, but I mean, if you look through the comment section of of the UFC announcement of that tweet, of other journalists announcing that tweet, Peak and Mariscal was the fight of the night. My 14 to one ticket, like it was, it was painful. It was painful. It was like that such. Was it was such a good read. But the problem with make with betting on those things is that. You know, you're at the mercy of, uh, you know, the the UFC uh, president who may not even be watching the fights. Um, I don't think he was in Jacksonville last week, so it is what it is. I won't be attacking those types of markets very often, but I feel like they got the books got off the hook on that one. We had them by the balls. And we just couldn't. I'm thinking I'm thinking they looked at the numbers and were like, damn. Everybody's got this peak versus Marskull to go fight of the night. We are going to take a bath. Well, what can we do about this? Just put uh, Tapuria versus Emmett. Emmett needs the money because he's 38 and took off drubbing. So, uh, you know, Peak took a drubbing too. But yeah, he's 28. He'll be back. And hopefully they give him some favorable fights where he can do some crazy shit in the future. But we know his limitations. He'll get better. He'll get better, but... Don't give him dudes that are going to crush him. Give him dudes that are going to... Marskall did everything right. Kudos to him. Won't take anything away from him. In fact, I'm a fan now. I like the guy. Uh, but peak, you know, match him up for these fight of the nights and then give him the fight of the night when he delivers the goods. Hondo P. Hondo P. Let's move on. We got Michael Morales taking on Max Payne Griffin. Morales, a minus 240. Favorite Griffin can be half plus 200. 
Who you got here, bud? Yeah, there's a couple lines on the card that feel like they could potentially be a little bit trappy, but Michael Morales is one that I'm probably going to fall into. I just I like what the kid brings to the table. Only 24 years old, which could be looked at two ways. One, very young in his career, getting better, definitely going to be getting better fight to fight, still fresh. But at the other tail end, maybe the con of it, he's just green. He's going to be prone to be making a lot of mistakes. When he came on to the Contender Series against Nikolai Valentinov, and he's an underdog, shows. He's like 21. He's got this Colombian wrestling background, right? Wrestled in South America. Very, very physically strong. And he's got the gift of power in both hands. So if he lands on you, it's going to be a problem. Right then and there, I thought this got to be a good prospect if he can, again, get in with an American top team, get in with a big gym, get in with better training partners, better coaches. Not necessarily abandon your training partners and coaches, but they're going to have to move with you if they want to pursue the dream with you because you just got to get into a better overall room. But there's something that you can work with there, 100%, right? Smashes Trevin Giles in the first round. Trevin Giles is a decent level of opponent, right? Smashing him in the first round, it means something. It shows the kid's got big power. And his next fight against Adam Fugit, who's not terrible, but not great, I didn't think he looked all that good. He kind of went through the motions. He did score two knockdowns. He eventually did knock him out in the third round, but... It seemed like here's a kid that probably needs time on the sidelines more than he needs to fight four times a year to develop experience. And so still very young, very green, but he's got a lot of good stuff going his way. The problem with Max Griffin is he's a very seasoned veteran, right? He's not that young kid that needs to learn a few things. He's already been through the ringer with some of the best guys, right? He's fought at a high level of competition. Not elite, not top five, never got to that level. It still has been in there with some decent guys. And his fights are generally pretty close, right? They're generally split decisions. They're generally, you know, he does a good job of staying at a range. But uh, he hasn't shown a whole lot of finishing ability lately. And he hasn't thrown up a whole lot of pure volume and whole, a whole lot of numbers. So, again, if you look at his last couple of fights, strictly by the volume anyways, uh, him versus Tim Means, it's a three-round fight, split decision, competitive. He had 42 significant strikes landed. Him versus Neil Magny, again, 15 minutes. He had landed 67 significant strikes, lost that fight. Um, him versus Carlos Condit throws up a bunch, but Carlos Condit is an aged striker with no other dimension to his game. I don't know. Those are the kind of guys you're going to be able to put up big numbers against. Michael Morales, I don't see Max Griffin taking him down. So therefore, he's going to have to stand and bang with this guy. Is he going to keep up a high level of volume? I don't know. He's getting a little bit older. I think he's going to feel Morales' power, probably try to stay away from it. And so I, I lean Morales. But at minus 250, like it's kind of the price tag that indicates he's going to knock him out and finish him pretty easily or that he's made a bunch of vast improvements. But at 24, this is, to me, a jump up in competition, a pretty good jump up in competition. And either he's the real deal, he comes out here, he looks like a million bucks, or a guy like Max Griffin is going to teach him a few lessons. So I'm going to be having a look at the live market as well. But the pregame flop, I, I got to go with Michael Morales and hope that he's going to be continuing with those improvements. Yeah, I think I think the market's probably about right on this one. Price minus 240, around 65-70% win rate. Um, I mean, Max Griffin was taken down three times by Tim Means last time out. I think a lot of guys just haven't really stuck to a wrestling game plan. If, if Morales is able to mix that in a little bit, like he did against uh, Varetnikov on Contender Series... With you know, with his pedigree, with his uh, his upbringing, I believe his parents were like it was like a world class judoka or something like that. Uh, you know, don't hold me to that. I may be thinking of somebody else, but uh, I don't know. Twenty four years old. I've liked a lot of what I've seen from him. Started a little bit slow in the in the Fugit fight, but these are all 
you know, it's part of the process of developing. I think he's a very, very high, high, high potential prospect uh, moving forward. And, uh, you know me, I'm a dog hunter, a guy who likes to, you know, find underdogs that I think have a legitimate shot. And I don't know. I feel like Max Griffin is kind of at the tail end here. I, I, I'm not willing to bet against him, uh, against a young talent like this. So Morales will be the pick for me as well. Moving on down, we got Melissa Gatto taking on Ariane Lipsky. Minus 240 Gatto, plus 200 for Lipsky. It feels like last time Lipsky was out there, all of the potential, everything we had heard, her coming up from KSW, kind of came to fruition. She went out there and absolutely dog-walked J.J. Aldrich. Um, and that was after getting knocked out by my girl uh, Priscilla Cachoeira the fight before. In a minute. In a minute. So it's like, it's a tale. But, like, everything seemed to really come together for her. The striking was on point. Uh, You know, the weight cut was perfect, I believe, for her leading into that fight. And Gato, she looked incredibly impressive in her first two fights. But at the end of the day, she's fighting an incredibly low level of competition. She's taking on uh, Victoria Leonardo, um, which is one of the easier fights in the division. And then Sajara Eubanks, I mean, the the jury's not out on that anymore. It's like the cardio just never holds up over the course of 15 minutes for Sarge. So those two wins aren't looking as interesting, aren't looking as good. Um, I am tempted for uh, to to enact the CF dot model on this one, Cody. Has Ariane Lipsky turned the corner here? Or was that just like an outlier performance last time out for her against J.J. Aldrich? No, this is Pat Man's theory or past for sure, man. I 100% agree, man. I think that this is line is way off. Lipsky most definitely has a chance. So let's start off with Melissa Gatto. Gatto, like you said, she debuts against Victoria Leonardo. Here's a free win and all the shame. She goes out there, puts a beating on her, breaks her arm, and finishes her. Second fight against Sinjara Eubanks. Okay, she finishes her in the third round. A little more impressive. Here's a couple problems in that fight. She landed 17 significant strikes through almost three full rounds. It was a late third round stoppage. 17 significant strikes landed against Eubanks. She also gave up a takedown and had pretty much no ability to get off of, uh, up off her back, right? Ends up getting controlled for like five, six minutes in that fight. Does score the knockout. Terrible fight. Super low volume. So... On one hand, she smashes through Leonardo. On the other hand, she looks like she's got low volume. Then that Tracy Cortez fight, it was actually a pretty decent fight. Uh, I think she could have won. She could have won the first round. She didn't, but she could have won the first round. She won the second round. She loses the third. Very close competitive fight as far as I'm concerned, but it's super low volume again. Like She did get the three takedowns against Tracy Cortez, which is impressive enough. But, uh, but again, 30 significant strikes landed over the course of 15 minutes. So judges want to see damage. Judges want to see punches and kicks and knees and elbows landed. So I think that she's prone to getting outworked by certain people. When you look at Lipsky on the flip side to that, Lipsky's got tons of volume. Her last fight against JJ Aldridge, she landed 101 significant strikes. Her fight against Mandy Baum, she had landed 87. That Those are big numbers in comparison to Melissa Gatto. Maybe not in comparison to crazy all-action fighters, 
But I think if it stays a striking battle, you've got someone in Lipsky, known as the Elbow Queen, known for you know a good Muay Thai game, who throws up a whole lot of volume, versus someone in Gatu who's going to be maybe a little stronger, maybe a little more power, but she's super low volume. So the striking battle goes towards Lipsky. And when you got a big plus money underdog, it's nice to start off with they can win in some dimension of the game, some some area of the game they have the, that. So I think she'd win a striking battle. So now it comes down to the wrestling. Okay, Gato actually did look decent against Tracy Cortez, scored some takedowns. Ripsky's got an awful ground game, awful wrestling. Gato probably takes her down, wins at least two of these three rounds. Lipsky's no good. That's why the line is that at this price. Mm-hmm. I think people think Gato's just going to take her down. But you go back to that last fight with Lipsky, and Lipsky moves full-time American top team for that fight. She left Kings MMA, which she had very little success. She had dabbled in at ATT a little bit for some camps in the past, but that was her last or her her first full camp at American Top Team, right? Spends the entire duration of it there. Looks way better. Wrestling looks way better. She's only 29 years old. She's still very marketable. She's still very young. And I think she is making improvements. So it's all going to come down to that wrestling. And if her coaches and her training partners and everyone's, you know, put that faith in her, put that time into her, and they've got her wrestling up to that level against Gato, she stuffs these takedowns, makes it tough for her, out-volumes her. If she does get taken down, fair, get back up, right? Get back up. Maybe take her down. Gato has decent offensive wrestling. Her defensive wrestling is not all that good. Maybe Lipsky can do the same thing she did over J.J. Aldrich. J.J. Aldrich looked um, one fight prior. Looks very good for a whole round against Aaron Blanchfield. Looks really good for the first round against Aaron Blanchfield. The very next fight gets absolutely, like you said, dog walked by Ariane Lipsky. Still only 29. Maybe she's getting better. Better enough is good for me, sure. Uh, plus, this this kind of plus money, I'd be interested in taking a shot. So I, too, will take Lipsky. All right. We got uh, Ishmael Bonfim taking on Benoit Saint-Denis. Bonfim, a minus 310 favorite. Saint-Denis can be had for plus 260. Banger alert. This fight should be fun. Um, incredibly fun. Like Benoit Saint Denis is in all action fights. Everyone loves the Bonfim brothers. It's another fight, Cody. This line just seems a little out of hand. I, I think the Bonfim brothers are incredibly talented. Don't get me wrong. This number continues to grow. Um, every single time I look at it, I haven't touched it yet because I'm like, how far is this going to go? Like, I think Benoit Saint Denis is capable of at least making this like an absolute war. Plus 260, I see a plus 265 out on the market right now. It's just like if it's relatively close, we live in an era where the judges can't seem to get anything right. Shouts to uh, Jamal Emmers, who, let's be honest, should have like, you know, all of the media had him winning. The only only two of three people that actually matter are probably some of the only people who actually scored it uh, for uh, the Aussie guy, I can't even remember his name right now because he didn't deserve the win. Um, didn't even, <laughs> I actually hadn't even bet it. Um, I bet Emmer's very small inside the distance. Oh, Jack so like Jenkins. That, yeah, Jack yeah, Jenkins. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was a whole, like. I'll take it. Emmer's, Emmer's, Emmer's was, buddy, you look at like the live markets and stuff. Emmer's was minus 1,700 when that closed. Like, that's just. You have because well, Cr- they thought they thought it was one one after Chris two because that's why they, they thought it was one one after two. Chris Lee and Sal, fight. it was relatively close, but it was pretty clear who should have won. I mean, Chris Lee yeah, Chris and, Lee Sal, and Sal, Sal are just that's a true. disaster, that's man. True. Like, why are <laughs> they? Like, we know that both of these guys are horrible judges. Why are they both allowed to be on the same card? Right? Why are they allowed to be on the same fight? 
spread them out a little bit. Just like we'll end up with like there are there are legitimate claims going on out there that like these guys are you know on the on the take. And like sometimes when you see some of this stuff on a regular basis, you start to question it. Um, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. Um, if this is even remotely close, Benoit Saint Denis, you know he's going to pressure forward, keep keep uh, keep pounding forward, and make it a dogfight. Plus two sixty. I think this is kind of another dog that I am considering this week. What do you think? Yeah, uh, considering, but I don't think I'm going to quite get there. So when you look at the Bombfiend brothers, they're both really good, but Ishmael in particular looks like the real deal, man. This guy moves well. He hits very, very hard. He's very, very accurate. His takedown defense looks rock solid. And again, here's a guy that makes his debut on the Contender Series against Naraman uh, Abasov. Guy's 28-3. and three. And Abbasov fought a bunch of legit killers on the regional scene. He was battle-tested, should already be in the UFC to begin with, and still, Bombfiend just put a clinic on him. Gas the later <laughs> the fight went, I thought, but um, it was relatively short notice against a step up in competition. Looked really, really good the first two rounds. Yeah, maybe late in the third, he just kind of coasted a little bit. But in a high level fight like this, not going to give anything away. It was a contender series fight. This is like a fight that should be on a UFC main card somewhere. It's a contender series fight. He debuts against Terrence McKinney. Again, this is a great spot for him because there's a lot of hype on Terrence McKinney, but against a very smart, good, high ring IQ type fighter, Bombfiend's going to find the holes. McKinney presents the holes. Bombfiend will capitalize on them. So Terrence actually fights a super uncharacteristic fight. He opts not to bum rush him. He opts not to come soaring through the air and you know, just try to get put hands on this kid as quick as possible. He tries to play a distance game. Bombfiend just chews him up and eventually knocks him out. Spectacular flying EKO. And uh, I think this kid's young. He's getting better. He's getting confident. He's starting to cash some checks. He's going to be a serious problem. When I look at Benoit Saint-Denis, he's an all-action guy. He's way more talented than, ta- than Trevor Peak at this stage of his career. But he's more of a, like, put him in against a good level of fighter, and he'll have a good fight. Uh, a, you know, fan-favorite, entertaining-type, brawl-type fight. In fact, if you're betting on a book and you think, what might be fight of the night for this card, this is what I'm leaning with personally. Because I think Bombfiend's going to dish it out. And Benoit Saint-Denis, for as tough as he is, is going to take it. Now, is he going to be able to turn the tides and score a third-round TKO after losing the first two? I don't think so. Is he even going to make it to the third round? Maybe, maybe not. But again, Paul, when you look at his record against Elizu Zaleski dos Santos in his debut, yeah, it's a crazy fight. It's a fight of the night. And he gets drubbed. Keeps coming. Keeps getting backed up. But he he's like Trevor Peak, solid chin, solid durability, but very hittable. He's there to get hit. And against Bomb Fiend, you don't want to get hit. But his subsequent two fights over Nicholas Stoltz and Gabriel Miranda. Well, those guys, he can just overwhelm, right? They're not going to throw out that same kind of punishment. They're not throwing that same level of power back at you. So he overwhelms those guys. Against Bombfiend, he's going to be the bull against the Matador, and I just think the Matador is going to ice him up every time. So will it make it all three rounds? Potentially, because St. Denis is super, super tough. But I think he's going to take out beating. I think he's going to be bleeding. I think the judges are going to see that. And I think at least two of these three rounds go towards bomb theme. So I am going to play him. But I think this is going to be a very, you said it best, banger alert. And I completely agree. It's going to be a very fun fight. Yeah. And the good thing, if you were going to actually bet uh, this to be fight of the night, is that the card's in Vegas. And it's on the main cards. Dana will be watching. Um, unlike Trevor Peak versus, uh, versus Mas- uh, Mariscal. Uh, shots fired there. Uh, we got all right. Let's move on. We got uh, Bruno Ferreira taking on Nur Sultan Rizabov. 
Ruzaboev. Um, this guy's an interesting character. Uh, Bruno Ferreira, minus 200 favorite. Ruzaboev can be had for plus 170. I was on Ferreira um, in his debut at like plus 270. It's crazy how the markets change these days, right? It's like back... Mm. You know, if if a guy entered and, you know, didn't have any sort of respect from the books, sometimes it took a little bit of time for them to, you know, to catch on. And like now they, they are flipping, you know, flipping super, super quick on these types of things. I mean, going through, Ruzabov is like very, very, it's a strange martial arts history this guy's got. I mean, you can go on like, you know, Instagram or YouTube and stuff and see some of the highlights, you know, slam finishes and so on and so forth. But he is fighting some real low level competition all along the way. Um, And then anytime he's kind of taking on anybody of any sort of note, he seems to to be handed some else. He's a tough it's a tough guy to kind of figure out where his game is at, what level he is at. You know, the big issue that people have with Bruno Ferreira is they, you know, question his cardio. Um, I suppose it's kind of fair. Guy just finished, just ices fools in the first round consistently. And Ruzabalev has shown extreme durability over the course of his career. Let's see, has not ever... Uh, he got, he got uh, lost by Kimura back in 2016. Otherwise, and yeah, early on in his career, he took some L's by finish to some questionable thing. But it's like the guy is making Fun. his de- <laughs> debut with 44 professional fights at this point. So it's like, you know, I, I'm sure he's made some massive, massive improvements. This is a very, very strange one to to, to bet. Um, one that I, I don't feel too great about. I don't really know what to expect from Rose Boev when he shows up in the octagon i'll pick ferrera but at minus 200 um i really don't think there's enough like meat on the bone there that i feel confident in that selection what's your take here yeah you know i think it's just like a greasy shot in the unknown but the plus money in ruzabov looks pretty okay now i'll admit when you look at his early career yeah yeah super sketchy like his losses are not to particularly good guys he gets knocked out he gets submitted sometimes quick almost all of his wins are over guys that sometimes don't have a fight sometimes never fought again sometimes potentially don't exist and a lot of just like you know low level type guys it not until about 2019 that he seems to like in in 2019 for the record he's 24 and 7 he fights a guy that's 0 and 1 you know two fights later he loses to a guy that's 8 and 18 and 11 but then he seems to find his groove like he's not super old right back in 2019 he would have been like 26 27 years old moves over to pennsylvania gets with like daniel gracie's team anyways he ended up start putting in some solid work going on a bit of a win streak his wins start getting progressively better beats a 15 and 2 Edward Artunusian beats Luciana Contini and was 13 and four by first round Kimura. And then as uh, to me, it just seems like here's a guy that probably just fought all the time and fought bums and fought low level guys and, you know, won some, lost some, but like you say, he's got 44 professional fights. Like somewhere along the way, he started putting two and two together, figuring it out, start training at a better level. And, you know, the guy can strike, the guy can wrestle a little bit. I think that he's fairly primitive. And at 185 pounds, to me, looking at the tape, he looks super skinny. Like, he doesn't have a big back on him. He's not a big, thick guy. And middleweights are fairly big guys. He's 6'4", though. So, 
so he's six foot four. And so when you look at Ferreira, Ferreira was five foot ten, man. When Ferreira fought against uh, Bruno in his debut, he was half the size of Bruno, who I think is also six foot four. So mm. that fight, he's getting backed up. He's getting backed up. He's getting backed up. And then bang, he just lands a beautiful left hook, floors him out cold before he hits the ground, wins. Most of his wins, first round knockout. Guy's got a ton of power. He's from Evolution Thai. They're all known for unorthodox strikes, heavy power, aggressive game plan. But one, you don't know if this guy can fight past a round. Two, you don't really know what his grappling's like. You don't know what his, his striking didn't look great in his last fight. He just ended up landing a killer KO and uh, over a legitimate guy in Gregory Robocop Rodriguez. I, I call him Bruno for a second, but, I, but Gregory Robocop Rodriguez. A beautiful KO, but not a fight that he was dominating the whole time. It's just, you know, here's a guy with colossal power that's capable of entering the pocket and knocking him out. You bet him, great bet, because it's plus money. And these guys that are very dangerous and have big power at plus money, well, they can make it happen. They're mm -hmm. puncher's chance guys. They can make it happen. Now he's not plus money, no. right? Now he's a somewhat bit of a moderate favorite over a guy that probably has a wrestling advantage, a grappling advantage, a cardio advantage, and certainly a size advantage. Enough greasy points to make you think, yeah, underdogs are going to come through. Last week, underdogs absolutely cleaned up. This week, you know, you're going to want some dogs on the card. And on a greasy spot like this, you can do way worse than than uh, than the UFC uh, newcomer, Ner Nerboev. Sorry, R Ruzaboev. Ruzaboev. But uh, again, watching tape on him, yeah, he's beating a lower-ish level of competition, but... There's some skill to him, and I just think it's a good plus money spot that if you're going to spam an underdog, this might be the guy. Yeah, don't don't hate it. Don't hate it. All right, moving on down, we got Renat Fakratinov taking on Kevin Lee, the return of Kevin Lee. I wonder if Kevin Lee sees holes in Renat Fakratinov's game because Kevin Lee sees, sees holes. He's in Chimaev's. He's in everybody. I mean, in theory, he probably should have seen some holes in Diego Sanchez's uh, Diego Sanchez's game last time out. And boy, oh boy, like that was a whore. Maybe fair is fair. Maybe he didn't take the fight all that seriously. But like watching that on Eagle FC was like, oof. I mean, the crazy thing about all of it is Kevin Lee is only twenty nine. Or wait, sorry, he's 30. He's younger than Fakratinov, but like Kevin Lee, it feels like he's been around forever at this point. Like he's in the UFC, he's one of the more uh, well thought about prospects on the rise, had a tough run, you know, missed some weight, so on and so forth, gets cut. Now he's coming back, but it's like, it's kind of one of those things that's just like, I almost feel like even though he's only 30, I feel like he peaked, you know? in his mid-20s just because he's taken on so many top-level athletes, to, to so many opponents. Um, I'm really struggling to back Kevin Lee in this spot, even at plus 170, per, mostly based off of how bad he looked against Diego Sanchez last time out. And, you know, that was at a catch weight of 165 pounds. Kevin Lee was always struggling to get... Um, to 155 pounds that's where he got himself in a lot of trouble he's missing weight at 155 but he's taking on a real welterweight here um in Renaf Fakertinov who uh you know some people may have been low on him but like came out there absolutely dominated Brian Battle last time that was not the highest level of competition don't get me wrong you know people questioned his level of um his level of competition but 
that battle performance was just so dominant um, in a decision win that I don't know. I think minus 200, I think it's pretty fair. Renat Fakertinov should should have advantages probably everywhere except for in the striking realm. And, um, yeah, I think he should be able to just win grappling exchanges against Kevin Lee, who is a very, very solid grappler. But I feel like we've seen the best of Kevin Lee at 30 years old, which is really strange to say. But, yeah, that, that Diego Sanchez fight is just, I, I don't know. It's, it's really tough to back him after seeing what you saw in Eagle FC. So I'll say that it's Fakertine of or pass for me. What about you? Yeah, so initially, all the same thoughts, all the same thoughts. How could you back Kevin Lee, man? And just to add some points to your, uh, to everything you said here, yeah, he's a natural lightweight. Couldn't make lightweight anymore, and now he's jumped up to 170. But at five foot nine, he does not have the frame of a welterweight, and he's going to get discovered pretty quickly. Fakradinov, meanwhile, spent the vast majority of his career in Russia at 185 pounds. And then when he came to the UFC and started fighting better guys, he came down to 170. So he is a big, strong, physical guy capable of going out there and muscling you down. It's not just Kevin Lee's too small for the division. It's Fakradinov's actually got some good size for the division. So when you bo- when you see them both in there come Saturday night or even come Friday at the weigh-ins, I think you're going to see a, a pretty good, sizable size discrepancy towards Fakradinov. On top of that, Kevin Lee... Looked awful his last fight versus Diego Sanchez, like you said. That was 16 months ago. So he's coming off a 16-month layoff. And he's had major surgery on both of his knees to repair torn ACLs. His knees are shot to bits. Like you said, why is he considered done at 30? Why is he done at 30? It's not like he's got concussion issues. It's not like he's got some type of major health issue. Well, I guess he does. He's got bad knees. He's got bad knees. He's got bad ability to make the weight. He can't fight at 155 anymore. Probably something to do with his bad knees. Can't get any of his road work in. Can't get any of that solid cardio in. Now all of a sudden you're going to balloon up. You're going to put weight on. Got to fight at 170. Got to fight against much bigger guys. It's all just super problematic, right? Like why would you want any piece of Kevin Lee? But then of course you overthink stuff and you overthink stuff. And then it's like, you know what? I think I might end up taking Kevin Lee. Now, why? Why would you do that to yourself? Well, first of all, he looked awful against Diego Sanchez because he had no knees. But in that time, he took 16 months off and he got both of his knees done. So on one level, yeah, he's had a long layoff and and this and that, but he should come back as a better version of himself. And as you mentioned, at 30 years old, he shouldn't be super shopworn in terms of damage. It's just, can his body take the rigorous training, right? Coming into this spot against Fakradinov, it's like, well, what have you done for me lately? Well, let's take away that Diego Sanchez fight and look at Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee has never lost a first round in the UFC. Never. Not against anybody. Never lost a first round in the UFC. So simply on that, wait to bet Fakradinov after the first round, and you might get him like the Daniel Rodriguez fight, which, by the way, Kevin Lee kicked the crap out of Daniel Rodriguez in the first, gasses out, can't get his takedowns going, gets chopped up in the second and the third. That's how you're going to beat him. He's always been a front runner. He's always a guy with not great cardio, but he won the first round against Charles Oliveira. He won the first round against Tony Ferguson. The guy is an elite competitor, and that's what ends up drawing me back on, well, I think I might take a shot on Kevin Lee. There's a good plus money here. He's coming back apparently healthy at 30 years old, not totally washed, and he's fought good guys. He's fought a lot of good guys. He's fought Rafael Dos Anjos, a former champion. He's fought, you know, kind of a who's who's of guys in the division. At 155, certainly. At 170, maybe not so much. 
But I just feel like when you compare that to Fakradinov, he beat Andreas Mikolaitis in his debut by decision. And then in his second fight, he goes out there. And again, another decision over Brian Battle. I like Brian Battle. Brian Battle has like a 20% takedown defense in the UFC. Brian Battle loses all of his fights when he gets taken down. His counter wrestling is no good. That's a perfect fight for Fakradinov. When you look at Kevin Lee, it's like, well, which guys have taken Kevin Lee down? Almost nobody. Very few guys. Rafael Dos Anjos took him down, but that was later in the fight once Kevin Lee gasped, and it was a fourth-round finish. But Kevin Lee has scored at least one takedown on 12 of his last 13 UFC opponents. The only guy he didn't take down? Gregor Gillespie, because he didn't have to. He iced him with a head kick. His striking is way better than Fakradinov's. His wrestling's pretty solid. At 30, he's not totally washed. He's got good knees, and the UFC signed him specifically to win one fight and then fight Chimaev. So might as well fight a dangerous Russian grappler first. And if you look good against them, they'll give them the Chimaya fight. Good motivation, good payday there, plus money. Bad bet, I'm sure. Well, we'll see. Hopefully I'm wrong on the bad bet part because hopefully Kevin Lee goes and cashes one as a plus money underdog. But I- I'm going to take him. Very reluctantly, I am going to take him. Why did they take – why did they – wait, wait, back up for a second. You said that they signed him to fight Chimaev? No, he was talking all the smack about Chimaev being like, listen, let me fight him. Because one, he says that he can out-wrestle Chimaev. But two, he's like, I've never lost a first round. And this guy's never lost a first round, right? Well, he's met his match here. So he talked a great game. He's been in the sidelines for 16 months and has a dog shit win over Diego Sanchez 16 months ago. How else did he get to the UFC? He talked a real good game about, I want to fight Chimaev. Nobody else on the roster wants to fight Chimaev. But he says he does. So I think they're bringing him in. Now, here's the problem. Jemayev probably can't make 170 anymore. Mm-hmm. And Lee had not going to 85. So I think it kind of put a stump in their plan, which is why they didn't book it right away. So they're like, well, let's just give him Fakradinov, who's just, you know, uh, mom, can we stop for Kamzat Jemayev? No, we got Kamzat Jemayev at home. It's Fakradinov, right? So Lee can maybe win that. And that plus money, I'm willing to take a shot in the dark on these greasy type fights. And I think this is one of them. Oh, and last thing, if you are going to bet Fakradinov, again, have a look at the live bet. Like, let Lee go out there and show he does still got the goods for one round and then fades as he always does. But look at his his list of opponents. It's just all former champions and former title contenders. And you look at Fakradinov, and it's like he beat Andreas Mikulidis and, and Brian Battle, largely by just taking them down repeatedly. If he does not take down Kevin Lee, he now needs to strike with him. Can he strike with Kevin Lee? You know, a guy that's been with Dewey Cooper in Vegas for 10 years, solid jab, got knocked out by Leo Santos one time, but in the same breath, you know, has got some solid KOs over some decent guys, including the aforementioned Gregor Gillespie. So I don't know. I think you could do worse. Like you're getting a lot of back class. We say that in a horse racing all the time. It's like, yeah, this horse is not racing to the caliber that he was, but he's got $500,000 career made versus or that's got 75,000 career made. That's racing better recently. Well, the back class is the classy horse. He's sore. He's lame. He doesn't want it as much, but he's capable of pulling one out. I feel that way with Kevin Lee. Maybe he's not as good as he could have been. Maybe his ceiling was a little bit higher and his body just wasn't able to take the, the you know, the damage over the wear and tear over time. But at the end of the day, the guy has a tremendous skill set, is a very talented individual, was thought to be a potential title challenger or a former champion at one point, and now he's just had a few setbacks, a few derailments, but... uh Fakradinov is not a world beater, right? So maybe this is what the level of Kevin Lee, that maybe that's where he's at. Maybe this is where he's at. But I think he should be good enough to maybe pull one out. 
I'm kind of interested in Fakradina of round three. Um, the plus yeah, nine. I only if see a. Guess. I only see a plus nine hundred out there right now. So we'll see when the market uh, matures. Not too overexcited about uh, uh, my, a plus nine hundred, but it's early in the week. Not enough places have replaced uh, or have posted those types of props yet. Um, and yeah, just one. Like Chamaya versus Lee would like yeah, that. That fight shouldn't even be sanctioned at this point. Like that would just be an absolute murder. Um, so he can talk, but uh, he doesn't want that action. I'll tell you that much. All right, moving on down, we've got Carol Rosa taking on Yana Santos minus one seventy for Rosa, plus one forty five for Santos. Who you got? Rosa versus Santos. Yeah, so this one could end up being greasy, and Pat Mayo's maybe right on jumping on that plus money. And again, maybe I'm going to have a bunch of egg on my face this week, but there's not a whole lot of like solid value on the card. But I feel like this line for Carol Rosa could be some solid value. Now, she generally fights these greasy, close, competitive fights where she could be doing way more, Paul. Way more. Does it to herself. Not the prettiest thing going. But I think she could have a lot of advantage, uh, advantages in this position. Go out there and beat Yana, Kunitskaya, Yana Santos, whatever you want to refer to her. So let's start out with Kunitskaya, Santos, whatever. 33, 34 years old, getting a little bit older. Does not look super interested. You look at her last three fights, three back against Ketlin Vieira. People remember it as like one of the weirdest fights ever. Because Ketlin Vieira took her down three times, spent the entire fight on top of her, but just didn't do anything. And Kunitskaya spends the entire fight on her back but at least throws up some stuff and ends up winning. It was super controversial at the time. Looking at the numbers, she struck her 47 to 7, so hard to say it's controversial. She put the entire fight on her back. Bad takedown defense, no get-up game, somehow won the fight. The very next fight against Irene Aldana, she got knocked out in the first round. Aldana is a good striker, you know, especially at this level, uh, just coming off a, a, a title challenge. You know, she's, she's at that higher level. Good boxer, of course. First round knockout, you know, not great. But fair enough. How do you move on from that? Then her fight with Holly Holm. Holly Holm, an excellent boxer. Can Holly Holm maybe knock her out? Ooh, maybe that would be a setback. Holm didn't need to. She just took her down four times. Looked like Jordan Burroughs out there. Just absolutely went right through her. So I think about the fact like Ketlin Vieira took her down, no problem, and controlled her. Holly Holm took her down, no problem, and controlled her. And then Irene Aldana didn't need to do any of that. She just cold cocked her and knocked her out. That's kind of problematic. I don't think her takedown defense is very good. I don't think her, her you know... Her submission defense is okay, sure, but her get-up game's not great. Takedown defense, problem, get-up game, not great. What are you going to do if you're going to get taken down? Carol Rosa, she can wrestle. Absolutely can wrestle. Uh, two fights back against Lena Landsberg, the three takedowns. But when you look at a loss to big Norm Norma Dumont, well, Dumont's big, man. And she's big and she's strong. Maybe hard to take her down. And then the fight before that, or two fights before that, is, is Sarah McMahon. Well, you're not going to take Sarah McMahon down. But it's important to note, in the Sarah McMahon fight, she gets beat the first two rounds. The third round, McMahon starts to tire. Carol starts to bring it on. Just too little too late. Ends up losing the fight. That fight with Norma Dumont, she didn't do nothing for the first two rounds. She just stared at her. The third round, she drops Dumont. She's got Dumont in trouble. She pounces on her. She beats her clean third round. Just too little too late. So I'm thinking Rosa knows she's got to get the foot on the gas a little bit earlier here. And if she does, great. I think she's got the volume and the striking and the durability to stand in the pocket and exchange with Kunitskaya and do fairly okay. But it's the wrestling. I think she gets in, closes that distance, presses her up against the cage, starts to work on her. She is a BJJ black belt. Get Yana down. Yana's get-up game's not great. Takedown defense is not great. I think it's an avenue to explore. So very similar to the Lena Landsberg fight where you're taking on a big, heavy uh, set striker. You know, back them up. 
take away that distance from them and then take them to the ground and grind on them. So women's MMA, Paul, like always expect the unexpected. We get that week in and week out, but uh, Carol Rosa is the favorite. Yeah, I'm going to have to back that. Yeah, the stats, I mean, kind of just all point towards Carol Rosa in this fight. Um, I can understand why I went for like minus 145 to minus 170 now. Being able to put up 125 significant strikes against Betch Cohea, 120 against Vanessa Mello, 171 against Lara Pacopio. These are all kind of fights that kind of, like, Yana just doesn't have that type of volume in her game. She's like a 50 significant strikes over the course of 15 minutes type of fighter. And then if on top of that, Carol Rosa has a wrestling advantage, I can understand why she's a minus 170 favorite. Am I going to get to that? Uh, from a betting perspective, you know me, probably not. But uh, And I imagine her by decision is probably not much better than even money. Yeah, it's minus 115 in some spots, plus 100. I think the market's pretty pretty sharp on this but i totally understand and we'll we'll pick carol rosa um kind i feel like it's kind of the end of the line for yana santos at this point in her career all right moving on down we got joe anderson brito taking on weston wilson minus 1400 for brito plus 800 for weston wilson brito biggest favorite on the card and it's not particularly close what's your thoughts here bud yeah, yeah. I remember back in the day, people would always be like, oh, man, I'd jump in the UFC. And people like, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. And they'd be like, yeah, man, I'd, I'd get knocked out for 50 grand. I'd get knocked out for 50 grand. Yeah, well, this is one of those situations. I think Weston Wilson, career martial artist, right? He's a training partner of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He's seen his friend and training partner at the highest level. He's kind of been around it. But he's 34 years old, and he is a career regional show fighter. But I'm sure it's his dream. It's his dream to achieve UFC status. It's his dream, uh, his dream to be a veteran and kind of jump on that big stage. So 34 years old, it's probably not coming. You just got knocked out by Teruto Ishihara brutally a few fights back. It's not going to materialize, I don't think. And then, boom, the call comes. Do you want to fight your UFC debut? You're going to do it. You're going to do it 100%. He's jumping in there. He's way outclassed. But at 34 years old, it's never going to come again. And it doesn't matter if they offered you Magomed, Magomedov, Magomedov's team. You're going to take the fight because if you don't take the fight, it's never coming again. So he's an opportunist. He's taking an opportunity. And, I, you know, I can appreciate what he's doing here. But, uh, again, this is a guy that has been a career regional show guy. He fights at a lot of those South Carolina, North Carolina regional shows events. I've actually offered up a few opponents for him at shows on, like, XMMA. He ended up taking true to Ishihara because he wanted to fight a UFC veteran, and he got knocked out. His other fights, Carson Frey, decent regional show guy, knocked or submitted in the first round. Bobby King, Bellator veteran, dropped a decision. You know, Andrew Tennyson, maybe he was seven and one. Charles Cheeks, Dan Barry, all, all the better guys that he's fought in his career. Well, those are the fights that he's lost. And so he's jumping in here against Joanna Brito, who's got a significant striking advantage over him. He's got a significant wrestling advantage over him. He's got a significant grappling advantage over him. He finishes him in the first round. This is an under one and a half. This is a Joanna Brito inside the distance. But is he going to knock him out or is he going to submit him? That's the question. Now, of course, it's MMA. Anything can happen. Like he could walk into a flying knee. He could walk into a head kick. You know, he could walk into, uh, you know, some type of fluke submission by just shooting too far to the inside or too far to the outside. I mean, who knows? Anything can happen in a, in a fist fight. So it's like, yeah, okay. Maybe he pulls some magic out of his hat, but I just don't see it happening. Anderson Brito's got him beat everywhere. So I think he knocks him out. Personally, I think he knocks him out, backs him up until there's no more cage for you to move to. 
and then it just lands a clubbing overhand right or maybe like a shuffle hook of some type. But I can see him just saying, ah, you know what? I'm fighting a kind of a karate-based guy out of a karate-based gym. Why not just muscle this guy to the ground, ground and pound him until he turns his back, takes his take his neck, and take it home with you? So I think Brito puts a beating on him. But at minus 1,100, like, you know, I'm not telling you anything you probably didn't already know. No. Uh, yeah, 100%. I mean, even, like, from the graphic that we just had up there. It's like when I was, like, making the graphic, I was just like, look at the difference between their ears. Joe Anderson, Brito's ears, you're just like, don't mess with that guy. That guy, that guy is not willing, like, is willing to go places. When you get ears like that, it's like you're willing to go places that most people quit long before they get to that position. I mean, Weston Wilson looks like, I mean, he was probably standing next to me at the grocery store earlier earlier today we were we were over at uh, yeah i don't know um but he, he might he might have been dude honestly <laughs> like he's you he, know he, good for him he's living his dream but this is a tough he's spot, wonder boy's dude. buddy right <laughs> yeah like i i imagine he's a very nice cordial fella but uh brito is not that is not about that life whatsoever all right so brito by ko is minus 125 brito by sub Plus two hundred. I mm. I mean at plus two hundred I would I would say Brito's gonna go up against the kickboxer and say, I'm just gonna take this guy down. I've got these cauliflower ears because I put in an insane amount of time on the mats. Um I think it's the sub would be definitely the play there. I mean the market's moving against what I say there, but maybe he just comes out and absolutely blasts them, but I don't know. At plus 200, that would be my preferred way to attack Brito. There's no way. I mean, I'm not touching a minus 1,400 money line. There are like minus 1,000s out there, I suppose. But it's like, I mean, at that point, there's really not not adding much to any of your parlays, anything like that. So, I mean, Brito sub would probably be where I would go. But uh, with all these props and stuff, it's really hard to, like, there's only like one book that opens them up. And they tend to open up the lines so that they don't get absolutely pounded on early in the week. It's like when the market matures a little bit, other places are willing to take a little bit of risk based on, uh, you know, the action that they're taking on different sides and stuff like that. So I imagine, I imagine you'll get a better than a plus 200 by the time you get to Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I'm just thinking the last big fair was Armin Saruki, and we all bet him, and when the first round looked great, second round, he got shell-shocked. Oh, mm-hmm. my man. He did the rubber, the, the stanky leg. He's on rubbery legs, gets a takedown, and then the third round, he looked like a million bucks again. So, yeah, he was the better fighter. He looked it. He finished inside the distance. All good stuff. But, yeah, like the nature of MMA is anything can happen, right? So when you're betting these minus 1100s, these minus 1400s, you know, if you bet enough of them, one of them is going to eventually blow it along the way. But I, yeah, Joe Anderson, Brito, Madman, right? Like maybe he falls right into something, but I don't know, man. I don't think this fight should have even got made in the first place. But all credit to Western Wilson for stepping up and he gets to live out his dream. So kudos to him. I wish him nothing but the best going forward because I'm going to have some bets against him in this spot. So, you know, hopefully lots of success going in the future uh, past Saturday. Yes, sir. All right, we got Gurum Kutataledz taking on Elvis Brenner. Minus 700 for Gurum, plus 500 for Brenner. I mean, Brenner had a very, very solid debut in the UFC. Uh, you know, he's very, very hugely underrated. A big, huge underdog against Zubi Tahukov. And 
mean, Zuby, Zuby kind of came in and laid an egg, but Brenner showed that, like, you know, he's got some decent stand-up game and, you know, he's put in the time, put in the work. I, I don't think, like, I, I, I'm going to pick, you know, for the purposes of picking, I think Guram is, is a legitimate, like, top 10, top 15 type of talent already in the UFC. Um, but minus 700 off of, you know, pulling out of a couple fights due to injury, hasn't fought in over a year. It's really, really tough to back at minus 700. I imagine he's probably going to be like near the top of your parlays because that's just how those parlays work and all of that. But I really don't think there's too much meat on the bone. And Brenner showed us that like he's not a complete bum out there. Like he's the guy's got skills. He's working with a good team um, and has is going to win fights at this level. It's just, you know, they're rushing him or they're putting him in there against a real badass. So. Uh, Kutata Leds is the pick, but at minus 700, I really don't think there's much there. Yeah, listen, it's not like I plan on putting these massive favorites at the top, right? The problem is is that, that you want to put the safest guys at the top. And generally, the safest I should win this fight are the bigger favorites because people are backing them, right? So in this case, you got Guram Kudalits, who's a, a big favorite. But here's my one issue. I think it's one of those scenarios where you're like, this guy is so much better than that guy he'd beat him with one arm time behind his back. And that's what you're getting, dude. He's banged up. The guy does not fight very often. He pulls out of a lot of fights. He's got a bunch of nagging injuries. And on top of that, like when you saw him make his debut against Matus Gamrot, right? Legendary. You bet it. Oh, man. Don't want to talk about it ever again. But uh, yeah, he won the first round and a half and then faded big time, got taken down, got beat up in the third. It was a very close fight, subjective fight. He ends up getting the decision. He took it on short notice. He gasped. This is another spot where he's on short notice. He's replacing Jordan Levitt. And as much as I like the guy, and I think he's super talented, he could be a bit of a front runner. If he doesn't knock you out in the first round and a half, uh, he's going to start to tire. He's got a whole bunch of injuries. He's on short notice. At minus 700, he's the kind of guy that, you know, might be a little bit riskier, might have a couple red flags going his way. But, yeah, I think he wins this fight, Paul. I mean, the guy otherwise without all these issues hampering him, is the real deal, dude. The guy's got rocks all the takedown defense. He's very, very physically strong. He's got good striking. He went tit-for-tat with Demir Ishmagulov in a close competitive split decision loss. And then against Gamrot, the first two rounds, I mean, he stuffed all the takedowns. He did a good job. He's a training partner of Kamzat Chumayev. The guy knows how to wrestle. He's very physically strong. And pretty much if you're from Georgia, not the state, but the country, there's a high win percentage in the UFC because these guys just come in here and they're absolutely ragdoll and people pillar to post. They're built different. They're very physically strong. I think Guram's got all these great things going for him. Brenner, meanwhile, a couple things. So you mentioned he just beat Zubera Tuhugov, which is cool. Good win, especially for a UFC debut. But one, Zubera Tuhugov had eight fights in the UFC coming into that fight, all eight of them at 145 pounds. One time at a catch weight of 150 because he missed. This fight was at 55. So it's his first time at 155 pounds. He weighed, he did not look good. He looked way slow, way lethargic, way out of shape. Still damn near won the fight. And 18 media members scored that fight on MMA decisions. All 18 media members scored the fight for Zubair Tuhugov, including a number of them that gave him 30-27s. So if Brenner would have lost to an undersized, you know, out of shape featherweight, 
the way he probably should have. No one's really talking about him. But because he won what is a credible victory, you know, all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe he's going to go pull out back-to-back upsets against people with crazy last names that you can hardly pronounce. So, you know, is there some love for Brenner? Yeah, I think the guy can strike, like you said. He's never been finished in his career, including some fights with some decent enough bangers. So if he can just take Kudelis' beating for the first round, round and a half, yeah, maybe he tires him out and he points him down the stretch. But for my money's worth, I got to go with Kudelis to just get him out of there probably with before the third round starts or win the first two rounds with that damage and then in the third round just survive. But if you thought Tuhugov was a tough fight and, and almost lost the Tuhugov fight, Guram Kudelis is... I wouldn't say like levels as much as Definitely the size. Levels. Yeah, he's one of the biggest lightweights I've ever seen. And Tuhugov, you know, for what it is, was, was a 145-pound fighter is the bottom line. So Who missed weight at 155 for that fight, too. He came in at 157.5. And it's his first fight up a weight class, yeah. right? And he just looked awful. And we'll talk about, is, is my boy Romanov's his next fight? We'll talk about Romanov literally, I think it's the next fight. Well, you can tee it up, but regardless, it's another fight where, like, watch the weigh-ins. Romanov put on 25 pounds between his fight with Marcin Tabora and Volkov. When you watch him against Tybora, looks pretty okay for the first little bit, you know? Pretty solid. Decent enough prospect still. His fight with Volkov, it's like he did not train for this fight. He looks awful. Looks awful. I'm not saying this is a case where it's like one of these guys are going to look awful, but Tuhugov looked awful. He performed awful. He still won by 18 media members' accounts. All of them. All of them agree. Close fight. But he should have won. So for Brenner, like, I don't know. I can see spamming a shot here because, yeah, maybe he could win. Maybe there's a path to win. And the plus money is the big salivating part. If you play DraftKings, you know, the guy's basically free. And uh, if he was to somehow pull one out here, now you're looking at taking down those bigger paws. So it's it's potentially lucrative in some aspects, but... Guram Kudelitz, as long as he gets everything in line, you know, his injuries and his health issues and all this and that, like, I think he's a legitimate contender, capable mm-hmm. of fighting anybody in the top 10 anyways. Yep. Whereas, like, Elvis Brenner, nah, 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 not happening, not happening. I agree. I agree. And actually, no, I I, I take the bout order off of uh, UFC Fight Center on ESPN, which is what airs mm. it. So they've got uh, the, the curtain jerker is actually Romanov versus Ivanov, which we'll get to in a second. Sounds like you just hear foaming at the mouth to oh, talk man, about that man. fight. There's been multiple times that we've that he's brought it up. But we got Ivana So greasy. Ivana Petrovic taking on Luana Carolina. Uh Petrovic a minus two twenty five favorite. Carolina can be had for plus one ninety. Watch some Petrovic tape. She's a wrestler. She likes the body lock and then like the the tr- like she get, grabs a body lock and then like throws a little trip or she's got a half decent single leg. I mean, the the path to victory, I can definitely see it. But at minus 225, it, that's factored into this. Is like that, yeah, that Luana Carolina is not a great wrestler by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, going over the course of her career. I mean, Joanne Wood took her down two times last time out. Molly McCann took her down two times before that. Lupi Godinez was able to take her down two times. That fight against Lupi Godinez was was quite competitive, um, at least when they were on the feet. And then a lot of the other fights that she had before that, she wasn't really taking on anybody who was trying to take her down. I think there's like, I, I don't see very much from Petrovic on the feet. And that would be my biggest concern here is that at minus 225, you better, if you're laying, 
If you're adding her to parlays, if you're getting really, really confident that she's going to just take her down and control her, um, she has a very good, like when she takes her opponents down too, her, I don't, it's one of those tough situations where is, is she moving to mount so easily because she's fighting a lower level of competition or is her, her move to mount just elite? I'm not entirely sure. There's enough questions about her that I am considering uh, a bet on Luana Carolina, who I think in the clinch is going to have some nasty elbows and on the feet is going to be long and, and cause some problems at range. And I think that's still exploitable for Petrovic, who I think her, her stand-up game is very, very green. She's got a couple half-decent uh, ways to get the fight to the mat, and I would expect her to get it to the mat. But if she doesn't get her out of there, if she doesn't you know, jump to mount and then you know roll over, find a rear naked choke, something like that, I think Carolina's very live here. I haven't bet it yet, but I've definitely been – it's circled – and I'm watching the market to see where it goes. Maybe I can get a plus 200 uh, for Carolina. Uh, CF dot model in action, Cody. What are your thoughts here? I'm going with the CF dot model myself. I thought exact same thing. And we've talked about another. Uh, when you get these good plus money opportunities, why not run one, right? We've got another one on the card in Ariana Lipsky and Melissa Gatto. Got some similar vibes. Could be a close competitive fight. You'd think that maybe if Carolina's made a few improvements here and there, she can keep this thing you know, competitive enough. And there's a good plus money tag there. A couple weeks ago, you have Jasmine Jesse Vesius goes out and upsets Miranda Maverick. Everything you thought about Miranda Maverick proves completely untrue. She's unable to do quite literally anything and gets completely battered. But she was a big favorite. Then last week, you got Amanda Hebus over Macy Barber. She should be able to take Macy Barber down. She just gave up five takedowns to Andrea Lee. Yeah, nothing you thought, right? Right? None of that matters. All out the window. This is much of the same thing. You know, well, she should take down Luana Caroline. Nah, nah, probably won't. And so when I look at it, yeah, there's just a whole lot of problems on Ivana Petrovic. Uh, I'd like to back her, you know, Bosnian, Croatian girl, kind of my, my, my Slavic people. But uh, yeah, she's been professional for less than two years. She's been fighting pro MMA for less than two years. And yet she is 29 years old. So someone that most definitely getting better and making improvements, but still very green in a whole lot of ways. You look at these wins, Paul, they're not all that good. Like three fights back. And when I say three fights back, it's literally a year ago. She takes a split decision over this Marta Wallazek, right? Split decision, close competitive fight. After that, she wins a couple of uh, fights. And like you said, she loves that, 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 that rear waist or that body lock takedown chip her opponents down, goes to the same takedown attempt a whole lot, and it has success at that regional level. Luana Carolina, meanwhile, she's been fighting a whole lot better girls. You mentioned all of Molly McCann took her down, but Molly McCann's taking down a lot of decent fighters. Joanne Calderwood took her down. Well, Joanne Calderwood, you know, or Wood, I suppose, is Joanne Wood now, you know, trains with some elite-level uh, training partners, right? Some good wrestlers. Was potentially going to be a title challenger at one point in her career. Is a top five, top ten girl. So she's fought in a high level or competition, but you go back to that Lupi Godinez fight. Lupi Godinez's biggest critical mistake in that fight was all of her takedown attempts were body lock takedowns. She didn't try single leg. She didn't try double leg. She didn't try to shoot low ankle picks. She didn't try to drop her level and get low. She tried to just grasp her with double underhooks and peel her off. And Carolina actually had very good balance, a good ability to stay on her feet. When they are in the clinch, Carolina should have the advantage. When they're on that range, Carolina definitely has the advantage. But you watch that last fight, Ivana versus Ewelina Wozniak. The first round, they're in the clinch. Wozniak smokes her with a short elbow, and Petrovic drops. Wozniak jumps on top of her, ground pounds her a little bit, round ends. And then after that, you know, it's one-way traffic. The takedowns for Petrovic keep coming back and forth. So I walk back some other fights from her. She's been dropped a few times. 
I don't think her chin's all that good. Her durability's not all that good. She's not faced a whole lot of adversity, but her takedowns just happen to come against lower-level fighters on the regional scene. Well, against Luana Carolina, who's more of a seasoned veteran at this point, has had some bad performances, but has learned from them. Coming off two losses, yeah, it doesn't look good, but that's why you're getting good plus money here. But she's got an advantage on the feet, for sure. And I think she could keep this fight standing. Even if she gets taken down, it's get back up. If you can't back up, get back up. Stay active. And if you can't stay active enough to steal the decision, you know, try to do as much as you can on the feet before you get taken down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think she can keep it close, keep it competitive, win a split decision type of fight. And at this kind of plus money, take another underdog shot here. Let's go. All right. And finally, the moment Cody has been waiting for. We got Alexander Romanov taking on Blagoy Ivanov, minus 135 Romanov, plus 115 for Blagoy. Take it away, Code. Yeah, I, I just think it's a fun fight. It's not like I got any particular lean here. You have to wait for the weigh-ins. I mean, we got a guy here in Alexander Romanov, thought to be everybody's baby. Certainly Cody Saptic's baby. Comes to the UFC. He's young by heavyweight standards. He's like 28 years old. He comes from this like Moldovan amateur wrestling background, right? Solid amateur wrestler, but also had done like sumo wrestling. So he knows how to move guys around. Big, you know, 240 pounds moves extremely well for a heavyweight and although his boxing is not all that good it's a work in progress making improvements and his ability to just shoot that double leg he loves to move to the back he loves to pick his opponents up he loves to slam them down very 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 you know bright looking future for alexander romanov he wins his first four or five fights in the ufc but like none of them are great you know beats roke martinez but roke went 0 and 3 in the ufc beats rogerio de lima that one aged okay terrible fight he, the Juan Espino fight, ugh, he quits after a nut shot in the third and gets gifted a technical decision. That one showed that he doesn't have a ton of heart and that maybe his potential, not that high because you got to want it. You got to be willing to go through the, the, the necessities, the tough rigors, the tough grind in order to achieve these goals, to fight these better guys. Against Juan Espino, he kind of showed like, maybe he wasn't going to achieve that status. And they give him guys like Jared Vandera, one in six in the UFC. Those he can win. Chase Sherman, he can win those fights. It's the step-ups. And so in his last two, Marcin Tybora, I thought he looked really good in the first round. A lot of people scored the first rate at 10-8. He suplexes Tybora twice. He takes his back, ground and pounds him. It's all one-way traffic. It is a beatdown. The second round... Ah, he can't get the takedowns going. He fights a bad game plan. He came on strong at the end of the second round, but lost the round. Third round, he is gassed. Turns out, just like the Juan Espino fight, he's got bad cardio. So I'm not off the ship quite yet. I think it's a humbling loss to Tybora. He needed to experience a loss. He was 16-0. So that first loss, it's how do you come back from that? And this is my issue. He puts on 25 pounds between after his first pro loss. He probably more because he weighed in at 164 and a half. So he probably cut to 164 and a half and would have been somewhere around the, what, the 270 range, the 275 range. Didn't look like he trained. He shot a bum takedown that he normally gets all day long. Mm-hmm. But but this version of him, he half-heartedly shoots through it, pushes him up against the cage, falls to his face. And anyways, Volkov puts a beating on him and he quits almost instantaneously. So like, what are you going to get out of him? If you get the Tybura version, he gets takedowns all day here. If you get the last version of him against Volkov, he he doesn't want to be there anymore. Maybe it's a quick payday. Maybe he wants to get cut. Maybe he's just I don't I don't know. But there's there was two versions of Romanov pre first pro loss, post uh, first pro loss. Yeah, big big difference. So I, I want to see the weigh-ins. And if Romanov comes in looking in shape, I think he's got the goods to beat Blagojevano. 
Ivanov could give him problems in that he's a generalist, but he's super durable. Nobody finishes this man. Dude stabbed him in the heart in a Bulgarian nightclub one time back mm -hmm. in like 2009. Still didn't kill him, okay? The guy is pretty much indestructible. He can take one hell of a punch. So in that sense, if this thing's going to go 15 minutes, Romanov can't go 15 minutes. So you've got a serious problem on your head. But if he comes in shape and his cardio is okay, I think he gets the takedowns. I think he does exactly what he wants to do. And when I looked at Blagoy's record, because, of course, this guy's a European Sambo champion, beat Fedor Emelianenko one time in a Sambo match, I believe in like 2008. So we're going back way, way, way back. But the guy can presumably wrestle. He spent a lot of time as a, a trading partner for Cain Velasquez and Daniel Cormier at American Kickboxing Academy. So yeah, if he stuffs the takedowns and keeps his standing, he's going to box Romanov up. But when you look at him, he only actually sports a 70% takedown defense in the UFC, and it's not against great competition. Like Marcin Tybora took him down and dominated him in the third round. Took him down 30 seconds into the, uh, the third and spent the entire third round on top of him. His takedown defense didn't look good. Not only that, he pushed him up against the cage, hit a duck under, and went straight to the back. And that's actually what Romanov does best. So the takedown's going to be there. Other guys that took him down, Marcos Rogerio de Lima, Derek Lewis. Who else has he fought? Ben Rothwell, Tai Tuivasa, Junior Dos Santos, and Augusto Sakai. So he's actually not fought pretty much any wrestlers, and yet he still managed to get taken down by Marcos Rogero de Lima and Derek Lewis, Marcin Taibora. So Romanov is going to take him down. It just depends on what rate is he going to gas. So I am going to pick Romanov, but the best way to attack this thing is live. Because if you want to get a big plus money price tag on Ivanov, wait till after the first. Yeah. Romanov is destructive in the well, unless he shows up fat and out of shape and pulls a Volkov again. But like if he looks decent at the weigh-ins, he's gonna come in here and put on a first round clinic, right? But not finish Ivanov, who's just tougher than corner store beef jerky. But the second and the third round, that's where Ivanov should have a better fight. If he can stuff a few takedowns, box him up a little bit, keep it close and competitive, maybe he could swing a split decision. Not enough plus money on him for me to take that angle. So I got to go with Romanov just getting his shit together. He's still only 32, man. Like at heavyweight, you know, he's still got a, a bright, promising five to seven year career ahead of him, but he's going to want it. And I don't know that he does, man. So check out his Instagram. He's a character. He's having a good time, but like you, you need to take it seriously. So wait for weigh-ins, but I'm going to take Romanov. Looking at Instagram, it doesn't really look like he's... Dude. He looks fat and out of shape. Exactly. So I know. I know. Trust, trust me. I looked it up. It didn't look good. I had bet Volkov. I like I had bet the Volkov like late round props. Like I think I had bet even actually round two and round three. And like Romanov just showed mm -hmm. up, failed on that first takedown, and then just got dummy. Didn't even land a significant strike. You know, he was just like, if I don't get this first takedown, it is over. Let's pack it up, pack it in. We're done. Um, and I have to pick Ivanov here. I think he's old, washed, dusty, doesn't really finish too many guys. But at least I know that he's going to go out there and put forth an effort, even though if it's a slow plotting effort for 15, for 15 minutes, nobody finishes him. Um, can Romanov have some success early? Yes, but we still have not seen Romanov, you know, go the full 15 minutes. Um, I'll be interested in some Blagoy round three. I think Blagoy... Um, live is a nice, especially if Romanov has some serious success early. I think that's definitely in play. And then Blagoy inside the distance. He's like, he's not a finisher, hasn't finished anybody in quite some time. He's definitely over the hill at this stage in his career, which is, I mean, he's, he's like a year younger than me, which is kind of crazy. 
Um, so at heavyweights, like guys fight until their forties, but like Blag always seems like he's, you know, they talk about like country miles versus city miles. It's like Blag always looks like a guy who has some city miles on him at this point in his career. I mean, the guy's got a hole in his neck from getting stabbed. Let's like, you know, um, Paul, it sounds like a shoey bet. Let me get my Romanov bet back from the last time I gave you a chance. You should give me back that same chance. Okay. Yeah. Shoey bet. Let's go. Um, Come on, Romanov. Put in a two-week training camp and get in shape, man. He, I mean, looking at Instagram, it does not look like he's going to be showing up. Uh, you know yeah, what? Round, round, he... round is a shape, Cody. Round is a shape. Um, so he'll, he'll, he'll show up in a shape for sure. Well, I noticed on the weigh-ins like last time when he got on the scale, his face was super round. And so when you look at his social media, his face is super round. I'm like, he's not in good shape. And he's most of the workouts he posts is like cardio aerobic stuff, but yeah, with like rubber know, bands. Say, yeah, yeah, right. Like, it's it, like, dude, it's, how much shape are you getting in? Did you go somewhere? Are you hanging just, out in Moldova? I don't think he's. Yeah, no. Like it looks like a nineteen eighties like fitness like video of some sort. Like it doesn't. Yeah. I he's spending his time trying to sell whoever like trying to shill these rubber bands more than it looks like he's actually like putting in a serious training camp now. That's what he shows us on Instagram. Maybe this guy's grinding every single day, grinding really, really hard. But at the end of the day, we still haven't. He's taking on a guy who goes a distance with literally everybody, doesn't get finished, went the distance with Derek Lewis, can take a nasty punch, has good grappling against a guy who the only time he got into like round three, he faked a nut shot and was gifted. I mean, this ended up in a shoey bet between the two of us yeah. against Juan Espino, where he got gifted a, uh, you know, them going to decision. I mean, trying to score a round that had like 30 seconds off of the clock into round three. So I'm going to take every single time. The guy has proven time and time again against elite level competition that he can fight 15 minutes. We haven't seen that from Romanov. So. Yeah, it's Blagoy. Blagoy for me. Blagoy late props are going to be interesting. It's 12 to 1. I see at one place right now, but somebody will have a better price. There's there's always somebody with a better price than the one place that opens it up because they open up the prices and they're like, we don't want to get killed on any of this stuff. But Blagoy round three is definitely going to be uh, in the in the wheelhouse for me. So, yeah, stuff that I'm considering this week. Uh, Dawson round three. Uh, we got Lipsky money line plus two hundred. Uh, Brito by sub plus two hundred and up has my attention. Luana Carolina plus one ninety. Uh, you know I have chalkitis. Obviously, I pretty much just slam underdogs every single. And Sean Strickland in the main event at minus one forty five. It's like it's rare that I actually bet favorites too often. Uh, maybe I should maybe bet a few more favorites, but like kind of surprised by that line. Maybe we're falling into a trap, but if, if it is, so be it. And then Blagoy, Blagoy inside the distance, Blagoy late props have my interest as well. So I, I, I mean, it may not be quote unquote like the best, like, you know, the best card from a, a star's perspective. I think there's a lot of good betting spots from top to bottom on this card this week. Cody hit him with the PRP. Yeah, I'm going to agree. I think there's some good plus money spots here and there. But in terms of the nice parlays go, we're going to have to go with Sean Strickland at the top. We're going to go with Grant Dawson, even money. Uh, Michael Morales, Ariana Lipsky, dog number one, Ishmael Bonfim. 
Narsultan Ruzboev, dog number two. Kevin Lee, dog number three. Kale Rosa, Joanna Sombrito, Grom Kudelitz, Luana Karolina, dog number four, and Alexander Romanov, Greasy. But uh, yeah, for the most part, again, 12 fights. I think that there's a couple good spots here and there, a couple decent prop bets. I actually like a lot of the stuff that you mentioned as well. Like, uh, you're getting a good price on a lot of it. I know you said you bet a lot of favorites, but between a lot of those props and, and certain, you know, long shot stuff like a lot of it does sound good and i think a lot of these underdogs that we're on the same page about hopefully go out there and show out so um yeah looking forward to it thanks for being on the show with me as always my man paul shaughnessy but uh, that's about it for me and that is it for us this week hope you enjoyed the show for producer megan and cody Safdick, i'm paul shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.